0: The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 413 for Sunday, August 19th,
1: 2012.
2: Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in some questions. You send in your tips, you send in cool stuff found, we try to provide some answers for you, we share in the tips, and together we all try to learn many, many new things. Mostly about the Mac and other Apple products. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. And uh, though Pilot Pilot Pete's not uh, joining us today, he is flying somewhere, I do want to... Give a shout out to all of the folks joining us tonight in the chat room at macgeekab.com slash stream. It is always a blast. And uh, if you have the opportunity, come on and join us. It's a, uh, it's a fun thing. Every Sunday night at uh, about nine o'clock Eastern is when that happens. So ready to dive right in, John, or do you have anything, uh, do you have anything very specific to, to, to mention before we, uh,
0: not, not nope. really. All no, right. No,
2: ready to dive. All right. Kenny writes, Dave and John, I have a lot of devices a work/slash/windows PC running Outlook, a MacBook Pro and Mac Pro, an iPad, an Android phone, and the newest addition to the family, a Nexus 7 tablet. My address book was on the work machine in Outlook. Believe it or not, I managed to keep all the address books in sync. The Work PC, Android phone, Android Nexus tablet, and iPad all connected to my ActiveSync at work, so there was no problem there. I used Plaxo to sync the Work PC address book with my Mac Pro and MacBook Pro. A little confusing, I guess, but it worked. The problem now is that Plaxo is incompatible with Mountain Lion, and there's no indication of when or if Comcast is going to issue an update to fix that situation. Is there a way to sync the two Mac computers with my address book at Work, which is Exchange and ActiveSync, a direct connection to the Exchange server is out because there's no way I can access access my corporate VPN from a Mac, authorized or not. Uh, the ActiveSync server is addressable from the public internet, but none of the Apple programs—mail, address book, or calendar—seem to be ActiveSync friendly. My hope was iCloud, so I installed the Windows Cloud on my iCloud client on my corporate PC. No dice. It's a very kludgy solution that sets up a copy of the directory, and to make a long story short, it is a mess. I hope you guys have thoughts on what might work, yeah that's a lot of devices and uh, and an interesting dilemma my my gut on this is to go google uh, Google contact sync works with address book uh, and should work with your Android phone, so if you've got the stuff there it, the, the, the honestly that it might just work like magic so uh that's that's actually set up in um well, I guess we don't call it a dress book anymore in Mountain Lion. We call it contacts. But if you go into contacts, as we now call it, and go into preferences, and I'm trying to get there while we do this, and go to accounts, you should be able to add, if you hit the plus button, a Google account um, and, uh, and set that up. Um, do you have any other thoughts on this, John?
0: Uh, My only thought, and actually I think I'm looking at an older address book here, but I think it was pretty much similar to what you were saying here, is that there may be a way. Oh, gosh, that's right. I hate the address book. (laughs) I'm kind of getting a shock here because I'm looking at the address book on. On the uh, mountain lion machine, and it makes sense, whereas or I'm sorry, on the uh, on the lion machine. Oh,
2: snow. leopard. That's right. You have one on snow leopard and one on mountain lion, right? Mm
0: hmm but no in the accounts i know they support multiple account types so that's the and and i i thought there were ways to get some of the microsoft stuff to work i mean i even saw like on my installation here it says oh what type of address book would you like to talk to ldap which you know that may be a hope too is that a lot of uh, address book systems do publish ldap so i'm wondering if trying to connect oh. uh, connect that way that's a good point. And, and I, I want to offer a correction here before we get
2: too far. Uh, hitting the plus key on the accounts or the plus button on the accounts tab will not yield the option to sync Google. The way you do that is you go to on my Mac and then click synchronize with Google from there. Uh, so that's the that's the trick to getting it to sync with Google. But but you're right. LDAP might if it, if their exchange thing or ActiveSync is publishing LDAP, that might work
0: really well. Well, you know, all right, so I got the full list here. So on uh, my mountain lion machine, if you go to address book, and then, yeah, the place to define this is, of course, uh, then you go to, a, or I'm sorry, contacts. That's why like I'm so confused context, because it's right. not address book anymore. <laughs> so you go to contacts, and then preferences, and then accounts. And if you add an account, the five types that are now supported are card dev, which I guess is a standard for yeah. mostly, yeah, I guess V cards, right? Yeah. In some way, shape or form yeah. exchange, which that uh, I think could be used yeah. to, again, either connect to your, your, uh, corporate one, or I guess you could use that connect to a Google, uh,
2: no, Google one, right. No. no, Google, Google, it, this is a weird thing. Google does support exchange. I believe only for calendars, but it's pot. No, it's for contacts too, but it only works from iOS devices. And I think it's a licensing thing with Microsoft that keeps them from being able to offer that to non iOS clients, uh, like, like your Mac. So yeah, it's really weird. It works great with iOS does not okay. work
0: with anything else. Okay. I'm glad you brought that up because yeah, my, my experience has been that the Google services for the most part, uh, can look like exchange compatible services. Okay. That's right. Yeah. And then but, the three others listed here are LDAP, as I mentioned before, is kind of a lowest common denominator, generic way of publishing, uh, well, what they call directories, which you know, it could, could be any type of data really, but uh, and then iCloud and Yahoo. Uh, well, that's a kind of surprising. Yahoo, really? Yeah, I, I saw that. <laughs> okay, that's unexpected. Yeah. All right. we scratch our heads sometimes. It's okay.
2: <laughs> All right, I think we've got that one. You want to
0: move on to a rune? A rune? You think so? Yeah. yeah. All right, I got to get a rune in front of me here. This is a good one this had me scratching my head for a bit all right oh and this is actually through the uh, the twitters we can talk about the twitters in a moment here all right but um and, and actually this is just part of it but i'll basically I'll, I'll tell you the problem is uh so arun i guess is running um basically he, he tweeted something to me he's like well i'm running mountain lion and and java keeps asking to be installed and, and i don't want that because it's it, it's bugging me <laughs> but he doesn't know what was causing it. So the exchange kind of went like this. So I, w- I said, well, how about looking in the console? And he did. The console, unfortunately, doesn't give enough information. Um, but then I thought the same thing. I'm like, well, how do you really know if something is a Java app? And I think I figured it out. But you can't do it with, with the tools built into OS ten. You need a third-party tool. So one thing you can do, and th- this came up because I knew that plan uh or, or i ran into this when i upgraded a mountain lion Is i just you know blasted through and um installed it and what happened is that his crash plan wasn't quite working it, it, its icon was in the menu bar but it was gray and i'm like what's wrong with it and so i tried to pick one of the options and all of a sudden it said oh i don't have a java r- runtime. runtime. would you like to install it and that that solved the problem right so that led to me then, well, how are they doing this and And I at least in this case, I figure it out, and that this will make sense in a moment, even though it sounds long winded um long winded from you up. no no, no John, never, never, but it's explaining how you can, uh, my strategy, no, it's good. Here. yeah,
2: yeah, no, the strategy right. yeah well, you know and 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 to to kind of open the curtain a little bit that's that's sort of our our m o here we get a question in and you know something very specific. And, and the idea is instead of just answering the question, we explain the strategy and, and in hopes that it helps more than just the one person who had the question. So strategize away, my friend.
0: Well, so I went to the crash plan, crash plan application in the applications folder. And then what you can do with, and this is pretty much true of any application, is that if you right click on it or whatever, you control click or whatever you have for your contextual menu, and you say show package contents. That will let you see what's really in there. So it's not really a single file uh, for purposes of interacting with it. That makes sense. But uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff uh, caught in there. So if you if you say show package contents, then go to contents, then I think you go to resources. Oh, okay. And, and that's usually where code lives. Um, okay, yeah. Code that's part of the program. So in here, what you're going to see is then a folder called Java. Okay, well, you could look for that. I, I wouldn't rely on that. Or You know, that may be enough. But then if you look, and I, I forget, was it bin? Then you look in bin, and you're... No, no, that's not right. <laughs> Lib, okay. Yeah. So in this case, it's kind of specific. But basically, what you're going to see in here are .jar files. And this takes a little knowledge of Java, so... A JAR file is basically something that the Java runtime runs. Java being a can language that can run on multiple computers, the, the only caveat is that typically the ability to run them is not built into the operating system and that you sometimes have to install something called a runtime to run Java code. And, that, and that's the window that we see on Mountain Lion come
2: up when it says, hey, this app runs in Java. Do you want to find and install a Java runtime? Right. So can can I ask you a question about this? Because I'm I'm curious. Yes, Uh, because I've messed with Java stuff. In fact, I spent the morning messing with Java stuff completely, mostly unrelated to the Mac. It was getting uh, a thing called Stream Baby, which is a Java app running on my Synology disk station to stream movies from that directly to my TiVo. And I got it working and it was sort of fun. And I'll I'll write a post about it. But uh messing with jar files as as one does anytime you're you're doing java but I've never programmed in java so I'm curious but I've seen I've seen jar files and I've also seen like with minecraft that you can unzip a jar file sometimes so is are jar files always uh just uh zipped up bundles of other files or are they sometimes just a single compiled thing on their own
1: mm. Beats me, man. <laughs>
0: I, I don't know that wrote, level of detail. Okay, I thought you wrote Java. I
2: thought it's at times, so I, I wasn't sure how deep that went.
0: Okay. Well, I wrote Java, but it got to the, the. It basically it it wasn't a lot. It was mostly interfacing okay. to C code. Got it. But um, okay, never mind. That I just I was just curious since I was messing with it today. Yeah, so okay. so I would write code and make a jar file. I'm like, okay, I need this to to run it somewhere but, else. But there is an aside
2: there. I will say, my my son uh, plays Minecraft, which is a Java app, and. There is a Minecraft.jar file, and he likes to hack it and put some of these add-ons in and all that stuff. And what you do to do that, you have to get inside the jar file, which is a hidden folder. And the way and it's hidden in that it's a zipped folder. So what you do is you have to rename Minecraft.jar to minecraft.jar.zip and then the finder will let you unzip it and it becomes a minecraft.jar folder, and then you can mess with all the stuff inside it. So anyway, sorry, I keep interrupting. Apparently I'm hyper tonight
0: big surprise huh i'll have to look at that because yeah i looked at one of my jar files and you can unzip it but yeah so All this right. isn't going there so no. to try to solve the problem here so one strategy to find programs so the goal here was how to identify programs on this mac that are java programs or contain java code that they may want to run like crash Band. so i use that as a template well you could search inside a file and if you see a jar file then you could probably assume that it's a java application right so, yeah, or Java yeah. compiler, but for the most part, like CrashPlan, that, that would tip you off that there's a JAR file in there. It's running Java code. Here's the bad news, though. The find uh, capability in the Finder isn't really good at doing that. As a matter of fact, I couldn't figure out a way to tell it. Basically, I wanted to say, look inside a package file, and if there's a .jar, tell me. Ah. And the Finder find, I mean, I fiddled with invisible and system files. And I, I just couldn't figure it out. Okay. Well, I eventually did figure it out. So this is a plug for a little program that I find called find any file. And we will link to it. It's uh, apps.tempel.org. But it has a specific selection. Um, package contents are shown. So if nothing else, this is a, good, a cool program that can peek inside packages and look for things. And so I said, yeah, show me package contents. And if there's a .jar in it, tell me. And, and which, which piece of software was this? Sorry. It's called Find Any File. Oh yeah. Okay. Cool. So the the, the, the finder find doesn't find everything. Right, right. <laughs> right. No, it
2: doesn't. That's right.
0: And I think and eventually he got back to me and said, Yeah, you know what? I finally found it was like some Java code for an old 3G dongle or some some device. But but he was able to uh, effectively. I mean it, it it's kind of a firehose solution here. It's going to show you all jar files, but based on that, you should be able to see the directory. You know, you can probably limit it only ones in the application directory. For example, I I think that there's probably that capability and then you'll get all the things that have dot, dot jars in them. And some may surprise you, you know, some open source stuff or or things like crash plan. You may have programs that you don't know are running Java. Maybe that's important to you, Um, but you can poke around and look for all sorts of other things too. Um,
2: So when I need to find Java files that are running or trying to run, um, I do, uh, I do it from the command line and I do PS, which is the uh, way to get a process list. And I do PS space dash a X, which gives me everything. And then, and that would, if I just hit enter there, it would give me everything. But, uh, but I pipe it through a command called grep. Uh, So I do PS dash a X space or PS space dash a x space and then the pipe com- character which is the thing above the return uh shift the thing above the return it's a straight up and down pipe and then i uh, after the pipe i do grep which is a find program and space and then java and that shows me anything that's running java and because i did the ax it actually gives me enough of the command where i can see the jar file that's loaded and, and you can you can dig there so another way but that's only so, for stuff that's running. So if, if it's if it's coming up and saying this thing needs a Java runtime, you may not see it there in the in the process listing. All right, I'm with you. What's next? Steve is next, and while I read uh, Steve, you, you should prep Paul since Paul will be right uh, right after Steve. Prepping Paul, possibly probably. Awesome. probably. <laughs> Steve. <laughs> Steve writes, since I added a 52-inch TV as a second monitor attached to my 27-inch iMac, I find I want to turn screen mirroring on and off quite frequently. When in the the recliner watching TV, I use an Apple Bluetooth wireless keyboard. When working in front of the iMac, I use an Apple USB keyboard. To turn mirroring off and on, Command and F1 works on my Apple wireless keyboard, but not on my older USB keyboard. When in keyboard prefs, I... I check uh, use F1 as standard function keys. The shortcut does not work on either. Do you guys know how to get mirroring keyboard shortcut to work on the older USB Apple keyboard? I've tried every key combo I can think of and Google has not provided an answer. Of course, I can go and choose system preferences, display mirroring and do it that way. But if the TV is the main screen and is turned off, I have to turn it on to get to system preferences, then turn on mirroring or drag the taskbar and arrangement and move it around. Or the 10-foot walk to the other keyboard. If I do this twice a day, that's 20 feet per day by 365 days a year, 1.38 miles per year. If I live another 30 years, that's 41 miles or 1.58 marathons. I guess I could use the exercise. Well, we certainly appreciate the mental exercise uh, that you went through to uh, calculate all that. That's that's geeky enough to qualify as a question for the show. Um, you know, I, I messed with this a little bit and I could not uh get that to work on the older Apple USB keyboard. So either we're both missing something or it's not there. How it and, and you know, the thing is, and, and again, to kind of abstract this out and perhaps help others, if you go into system preferences and keyboard, there is a keyboard shortcuts section there. And this seems like one of those things that would live there. And then you could change it to a shortcut that worked on both of your keyboards. But I could not find that there. Uh, but that is helpful for other things. If there are k- things that you want to uh, do a lot, you might find shortcuts in there. And that's a that's sort of a handy thing. It's actually good just to peruse through to see what things qualify for keyboard shortcuts, because you might be surprised. So, again, that's system preferences, keyboard, keyboard shortcuts. But since this is not something that appears there, we have to look for another solution. And third parties sort of are the way to go, um, or at least a hybrid this is something that you can uh, trigger or toggle with AppleScript if you turn on UI scripting. And I'll put a, uh, a link in the, in the show notes for that. So if we've got UI scripting on, AppleScript can do this. So you could write an AppleScript that just says it go and you know click this button. And if it's on, it'll be off. And if it's off, it'll be on. And then you could use something like Keyboard Maestro. Uh, which allows you to do all sorts of different things. But one of them is you can assign a keyboard shortcut to an Apple script and then you put them all together and you're good to go. Keyboard Maestro, by the way, is one of those things that I, I really can't live without. Honestly, I pro- I don't use nearly enough of it, but one of the things that it does it al- is it allows you to have uh, multiple clipboards and the way it works is. And yes, now I'm on a tangent. Uh, when you copy something, it saves it to the clipboard. Well, if you have keyboard maestro loaded, it saves it to the clipboard and takes the last thing that was on the clipboard and moves it down in the stack. So if then I want to uh, paste something that is not the most recent thing I copied, I instead of doing command V, I have it mapped to command shift V. And then that pops up a little window. And with the arrow keys, I can jump down and find the thing that I want to paste and paste it. Uh, and I can't I can't live on any computer now without. um multiple keyboards there are other ways to do it i i happen to do it with keyboard maestro but anyway keyboard maestro might also solve steve's problem so anything uh any thoughts on any of that john
0: yes good oh key remap for macbook it just has so many keyboard remap things oh. I, I won't even start talking oh, about always it always forget about that yeah man of course it's got some crazy remappings. so uh, I've, I've heard a lot of people have found it, it solved their their problem. I mean, I it bet, has a whole I bunch of options s- listed here for function key uh, modifications. So maybe one of those will uh, nudge things in the right direction. But uh, always worth looking at. And as far as I know, it's not just for MacBooks. Right. No, I'm sure that would solve his problem.
2: Because that's, the, yeah, that's kind of what it's built to do. Yeah, good stuff. All right. Are you prepared to uh, ponder what Paul was postulating? No, <laughs> that was pretty good. You got to give me a little credit for that.
0: Wait, where is it? Wow, I got the one. <laughs> Unbelievable! <Paul. laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> All right, Jonathan, my wife. Uh, is this the right one? Do I have the right one? Yes, I do. Okay. So this is a problem with pictures and Paul, but <laughs> my wife and I both have iPhones and import their photos to the same computer where they become mixed in the same iPhoto library. Let me look at that over again. That's right. All right. So two different iPhones. So we don't know specifically. All right. I'm, I'm thinking out loud here. Let me just read the question. R- read the question. Then let's. how see can we tell which phone was used to take a given picture? My wife insists the best photos are hers. Of course, they are. And once in a while, I'd like to find out if that's really true. The photos information just says iPhone 4, and it's identical for both phones. We know there's not like, we know there's likely not a retroactive answer, but would like to keep this straight going forward. Additional advanced bonus question: um, screenshots don't list the device name at all. Okay. Well, let's get to let's get to these two. Go. And the first one, I think you you handed the baton to me, Dave here, because I've. I've done this before so yeah you're mr exif so i uh i figured if anybody would find the answer it would be you and your instinct was correct in that exif is the potential answer to this here and exif in a nutshell is basically additional information other than the picture data digital picture data itself that's in a picture file and it could be anything. It could be the name of the picture. And, and then it gets really interesting and kind of geeky And that. Uh, so one branch of it could involve information about the state of the camera when it took the picture, such as the shutter speed, the aperture, the ISO and all that other stuff. The other could be extra information that doesn't necessarily have to do with a photograph. Maybe have to do with the camera and or device. And that's where this is going. And. So one point I want to bring up here is that utilities that process photos, such as iPhoto or Aperture or some people like Lightroom, and there's a whole bunch of them, uh, some of them. And so I use Aperture as an example. Aperture showed me some of the EXIF data, but it didn't show it all. It hid things from me, Dave. How? <laughs> Aperture was hiding things from me. I, I couldn't believe it. I think iPhoto so. hides things, too. Yes. Uh, Now, one thing that doesn't hide it, because what it's using is a third party program to do this, is Graphic Converter. Uh, My old favorite that I think I've been running ever since I've had the Mac. Yeah, man. Graphic Converter predates OS X. Predates everything. Predates us. (laughs) Predates the podcast, that's for sure. Yeah. But what he does is in one section where you get info on a picture, he links to something... Let me get the name of it here. Uh, EXIF tool. So it's an open source tool that basically is like a can opener for your EXIF file. And here's what it found, Dave. And this is the only potential piece of data that could differentiate these two here. Uh, So running that tool will show you absolutely every. uh, So you run it either within Graphic Converter or you can download it. We'll link to it where you can download it and you run it from the command line on a picture. And if you you give it the right uh, arguments on the command line or just you know, go out and buy graphic converter. Then you see everything. And the only thing I saw, I believe it was software version. Mm. Now, all right. So I'm trying to be creative here, but it's, it's possible that at the point in time the pictures were taken, these things were running slightly different versions of Mac OS X. You mean iOS. Or iOS, I'm sorry. iOS in the phone. Right. Other than that, the only other potential differentiator in the app... The iPhone does not do this, or at least the data that I looked at on my particular phone, is that it does not include the serial number. A right. lot of cameras, and this is something to keep in mind, a lot of cameras. And I'll give you a third piece of data. So the second is that some form of serial number, like my other camera, the, the Lumix, actually does include something, which oddly enough, it says serial number, but it's not the serial number printed on the camera. So I wonder if it's the serial number of the sensor or the processor or something in the camera. But it does list the unique serial number. But the iPhone, as far as I can see, does not do that. So the only other unique piece of information, and it's kind of thinking out of the box here, but if you can remember where you were right. when you took the picture, then you could use the GPS data that's probably embedded in the picture.
2: As long as in settings, if you go on the phone, you got to right. go to settings and location, and you have to make sure that the camera has location turned on. Uh, because otherwise it will not embed your location in the camera
0: or in the photo. The other thing, though, is that I, uh, a couple of other things that I really think happen here, being a relationship expert, I think one or the other of you should get a different device here so you can settle it once and for all who's the better photographer. Well, but if they're using different devices, then then you could start blaming it on, on the device.
2: So, you know, you
0: want it. You want to right. have. So I, I, I think it would just make for a more interesting dynamic relationship, because right now there's so much uncertainty as far as, you know, who's the better photographer <laughs> <laughs> and we got to bring this issue out into the open. That's right. This isn't Help this
2: isn't going to be the white elephant in the room anymore. We're going to get this one out in the open.
0: <laughs> and everyone's going to
2: be great. And now that we've gotten uh, relationship advice from Mr. Braun out of the way. Uh, I want to talk about our first sponsor for this show, which is gazelle.com. And they actually have a new, uh, a, a new UI there, a new kind of a whole, oh, it's a whole new layout. You go on and, uh, and they show you a picture of all the stuff that they'll, they'll collect. What, what gazelle does in short is they'll allow you to take its magic. Actually, it's almost like alchemy. They will let you take that pile of old used uh, but no longer used kind of uh sitting dormant electronics, and you can turn that into cash magically and the way you start is you visit gazelle dot com and you click on something that resembles something in your pile so let 's say you have an old iPod in your pile. well, you click on that and uh and then you dig a little deeper and tell it what you have and then you tell it um what uh what kind of condition it's in and uh, and then they will tell you how much they'll give you for it. And it's actually kind of a fun thing to do because you can just go through it. You don't have to, you can get the the amount that they will give you before you give them any personal information. In fact, it's usually about two clicks and you've got dollars and cents right there in front of you. And, uh, and it's, it's actually a great thing. In fact, just the other day, because I like to check this, I went through and compared Gazelle uh, out there to uh, to lots of the others and their prices were either the absolute best or they were within like a literally a dollar of uh, of everybody else. Gazelle's been around a very long time. I've sold stuff through them. I know many listeners have their customer service. I've I've actually always had, you know, a good experience going through with Gazelle. Uh, But uh, we've had several listeners that have said, you know, they had one one issue or another a logistics thing and as soon as they contacted Gazelle customer service it was handled very very quickly and to the uh utmost satisfaction of the uh the listener that mentioned it so uh check them out gazelle.com there's a new iPhone coming out soon potentially right we've got this September 13th event coming any quote you get from gazelle, they give you 30 days to, uh, to make good on, on shipping it to them. They, once you get a quote from them, they'll actually send you a box. So it literally costs you nothing to, uh, to send your stuff in. So, uh, as we get closer to the 13th there, you might want to, uh, you know, get a quote locked in just in case prices drop after the, uh, after the announcement. So if you're, if you're thinking of doing this, you know, start, start hunting around and within the next week or two, lock in your quote and, uh, and then see where it takes you. No obligation there. Gazelle.com. And with that, we had a couple of questions this week. As we often do, there's themes that come up. And one of the themes was uh, was migration. People migrating to the Mac from Windows. And, uh, and we'll start with Lou. Hi there, guys. John and Dave in and, BioTeach. Uh, question. Uh, no user of a Mac. I have a 500 gigabytes. MacBook Pro, and um, I like to run some of my Windows uh, games, specifically StarCraft,
0: and I was wondering what would be the best way to do it. Should it be a boot camp or uh, the other type of Windows uh, programs on Mac? And then, uh, how do I revert? Uh, Should I set up a a backup of some type?
2: to revert back to the, to, the, to the Mac OS without the uh, Windows side.
0: Uh, I hope you can uh, help me with that. And thank you very much for the show.
2: Bye. Yeah, you bet, Lou. So, um, well, we'll answer your, again, we'll answer your question specifically, and then we'll sort of talk about it in general. Specifically, StarCraft is available for the Mac. Uh, so we'll put a link in the show notes. That that may actually be your answer for that particular game, is just to run it native. That's always going to be the best thing as long as you're getting the as long as the features are the same and and you're getting the game that you want. Uh, Running it native is always going to be just simpler and uh, and and most often better. But if if there's other games or if even with Starcraft, if there's a specific reason you want to or need to run the Windows version, then, yeah, you can do boot camp um, is essentially like turning your Mac into a windows machine temporarily. It just boots your Mac as a windows machine and it runs native windows. Um, And that works very, very well for games. But you know, the virtualization software, which lets you run windows stuff inside of and alongside of Mac OS 10 also has gotten really, really good, especially with games. And I know that there's the sort of a leapfrog thing that happens between the two major vendors here, uh, which is VMware with fusion Uh, They're at version four and parallels, which John, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they're at version seven for the Mac right now. I I believe from what I've experienced, although I haven't done a lot of gaming, so I sort of go with with uh, some of the other Mac geeks that I trust. uh, It seems like right now for games, I believe parallels is the uh, is the preferred way to go. But I honestly don't think you're going to be upset either way, whether you go VMware or uh, or parallels. You got any thoughts on that there, John?
0: The only thing I would say is that if you if you want to do gaming, so I think the best solution, because as you kind of pointed out, Dave, um, no, you did point out, uh, you know, boot camp, you're basically running as a PC. So you're going directly to the hardware. Um, if, you know, there is a layer introduced here. I don't, I don't think it's significant because I think both the parallels and the VMware guys or just the VM guys in general have figured out how to get Close enough to the graphic chipset so that the performance is is reasonable.
2: Yeah, they've gone. They've frankly Um, they've gone nuts with it. And I've I've seen some reports where people say that games run a higher uh, frame per second rate in some of the virtualized stuff than they do when you run natively. Which
0: is yeah. The the only thing I would say is that you you probably want to um, you know, make sure you don't get you know a girly chipset for your graphics. Oh right. Yeah. Definitely. By that. (laughs)
2: <laughs> you're going I don't know what you mean by that, and uh, and that is your statement alone,
0: my friend. i probably offended half the population. Yeah, I'm sure. Fifty-one <laughs> percent there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's it's taking a turn. Oh boy. I think it's always so, been... that's not no, quite what I'm 51, saying is that I think what I'm it's saying, saying is that if high. you're going to get a gra- is that a graphic chipset that's dedicated versus sharing system RAM uh, will give you better performance. Well, in any environment, but I, uh, the the only thing is that, that I have had people note that the performance of the built-in graphic chipsets just in general may not be fabulous. So if, if you're thinking of gaming, you know, unless you you if you haven't bought the computer ready then just make sure it has a nice uh, Nvidia or ATI or wh- whatever uh, and and isn't sharing the uh system memory. That's my only suggestion. Other yeah. than that, yeah. Uh
2: yeah. All right. Cool all right let's go on to brad who is in a similar but different boat
1: hey john and dave it's brad over in beautiful west michigan i've got a question for you that's been on my mind for a while and uh, i know you guys could uh shed some light on this for me um i'm an old time windows user back in the days of dos and i went through the three one days and everything up through basically xp i switched to a mac about four years ago and um i haven't really looked back at all (laughs) and i don't miss my days of uh, my windows experiences either but um anyways when i was using windows and let's say i had some system performance issues um just some general problems with the os it's it wasn't uncommon for uh me and I know a lot of other Windows users who would basically wipe their PC um, every six months to a year. And you know, it would always be one of those things where you'd wipe it and the thing would perform a lot better for a while. Yep. And you'd reinstall apps and bring your data over and whatnot. But my question is this, on a Mac, if if I am experiencing issues, uh, let's say performance issues, just general stability reliability issues and I feel that a clean install would be uh, the next best route to take what can I and what shouldn't I migrate over um, in order to avoid migrating the problem over I don't know if that makes sense or not like I don't want to migrate my I don't want to go through migration wizard only to find out that I migrated Whatever was causing the problems before to be migrated over with it, like in Windows, if you copied your user profile over, oftentimes you just copied whatever issues you were having over with it as well. I've seen that happen several times. But on a Mac, I wasn't sure if that could be the case as well, or if um, or if there was a better way of doing it without, uh, you know, feeling like you just wasted an afternoon. Reinstalling your OS and only to copy the same problems you were having before over to your Mac. Again, thanks, guys. Any thoughts you have on this would be much appreciated. Mm-bye.
2: Hey, Brad. Yeah, you bet. Uh, so I think, John, we should talk about this in two parts. Part number one will answer his question. And then part number two will tell him ab- about a lot of things that you can do to prevent the need from having to nuke and pave because it is. Something that is not, in my opinion, not required nearly as often on the Mac as uh, as it has been with Windows. Uh, But if you are doing a nuke and pave and you want to migrate things in, uh, typically the stuff that was causing your Mac to slow down is not migrated in. Uh, But 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 that's with with a typical migration assistant thing, if you do the clean install and then migrate in from there. But that's but that's a general statement and is almost certainly incorrect in certain situations. And those situations are when you have something in your user profile uh, that is causing the problem. You've got your system that kind of runs underneath everything. And then you've got your user profile that that sort of sits on top of it. And uh, and migration assistant migrates the latter, not the former. So the way to test that is to create a test user. This is ahead of time before on the, on your Mac, before you do any of the nuke and pave and uh, create a test user, but just by going, which is something you should do anyway, just for troubleshooting, but uh, go into system preferences accounts and create a test user, make it have administrative privileges. That's actually kind of a good thing because if you get locked out of your um main account, then you've got this other account you can use. And actually, I guess, mountain lion and maybe even lion. It's called users in groups. But uh, but if you go to system preferences, using users in groups, create a test user, remember the password and then log out of your main user, even restart and log in as the test user and try whatever it is uh, that you're that, you know, tends to cause, you know, slowdowns or problems or whatever. If it happens with the test user. Then you know that it's related to the system as a core and that doing a Nuke and Pave with migration would likely solve it. Uh if it does not happen there, well, then that indicates it might be something in your user account. And that's a little easier to troubleshoot because you know what apps are running there and, and there's not um, you know, things like system extensions or, or 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 any of those other settings um that are out there. So that that's that if you're trying to solve something with nuke and pave. That's my advice for figuring out if nuke and pave is the right or is and the answer. Um, before we move on to why he probably doesn't need to nuke and pave, John, do you have any thoughts on on that? Any other advice for him?
0: Yes, I'm, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> well, I was just thinking of this. I, I was looking through this, uh, thinking about this question here. But um yeah. safe boot is another tool that you may want to use to determine whether your system is. <laughs> pose the unrecognition because safe boot uh, boots your machine so one it cleans up a few things which actually is a i, I actually do a safe boot so this kind of answers this question about just general tips here but safe boot is probably a good thing to do every now and then because it cleans up some corrupt that causes weird uh, huh, is it a hardware is it a software problem i don't know i've had to do that but um safe boot also limits for the most part what kernel extensions and fonts and some other important things to to apple only stuff and not third party stuff. So if you boot in safe boot and things seem to be working okay but then you boot back into your regular configuration and, and things are are, are are bad then uh, th- that could be another sign that you may have yeah uh, accumulated uh too much cruft for <laughs> to get any, anything done. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I like safe boot.
2: Yeah, I forget about that. You know, I um I uh okay, so now now let's let's sort of transition because Safe Boot actually was a perfect little segue because it can be the thing to confirm that you need a, a nuke and pave, but it can also, like you said, be the sort of the troubleshooting or general maintenance that allows you to not need to nuke and pave. And some other things that that really, really help um are doing the 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 general maintenance that we talk about. And you know, for years we've been recommending Onyx as the, uh, as sort of the go-to utility. And it still is. Although I, I am more and more moving on to something called Yasu, which is Y a S U. And, uh, and we'll put a link in the show notes, but, uh, it's a yet another system utility, but it is, uh, it's fantastic. And it does a lot of the stuff that, that Onyx does. But if all you're doing is going into troubleshoot, it's a very, very clean interface. And, uh, and and it does one thing that i've seen no other troubleshooting utility do and that is in addition to repairing system wide permissions it also will repair your user folder permissions and that's a big deal uh because that can really be the the trick to solving a lot of funky problems and repair permissions in disk utility does not do this and the only other way to do it other than yasu is to reboot your machine into recovery mode And drop to the terminal and issue some, you know, commands. And it's crazy. So, so I like Yasu a lot. in fact, I ran that on my wife's machine today and, and helped solve, uh, it it did, it did, it helped solve a a problem. Now, I don't know if it was the permissions or the caches that it cleaned or anything like that, because I just had to do everything. But, uh, but that's, that's one that might, might get you what you want without having to, um, to reboot. Or to 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 nuke and pave, and do you have anything else to add? I've got I've got more stuff I can throw in here because this is what we do. But but uh, but I'll uh, I'll
0: pass it to you for the moment. I got something that I'm going to throw in here. Yeah, go. Because I like throwing things. Yeah, doesn't throw. everybody like throwing things? Yes, we all do. And actually, Jeffrey in the chat room mentioned this. He he's been guessing what I'm going to say here. That's Seems good, smart. But um. <laughs> Maintenance scripts are a good thing to run on occasion here, and there's actually a little thing called Mainted, Ya main-ted
2: Yahoo and Yasu, sorry Yahoo, Onyx and Yasu will run your daily, weekly,
0: monthly maintenance scripts as well. Yes, they will. Yeah, but this little thing here, they're Mainted... how do, uh, Whatever, I'm going to link to it, but ah. uh, but it's a little, it's a little um dashboard add-in that one shows you the last time your your uh, maintenance scripts were run, and will let you run one or all of them manually so it's just uh, although i uh, and i don't know how many people still use dashboard but i find there's still a couple of things every now and then i i find it just a nice handy place to just you know lock out the mac and just uh, go to see the weather stocks you know that and a few yeah. other things sure. um I, I still use the dashboard though I, I don't know if it's really gotten a lot of attention as of late Right. As far yeah. as widgets and all that. I mean, I think people are still making them, but yeah. it doesn't seem to be a, a lot of activity in that area. Yeah. Apple doesn't talk about it. So, you know, that,
2: that sort of throws it out the yeah. window. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> good. Um, you, you, so the other thing I, I wanted to talk about was again, related to this issue I found on my wife's machine um, going into, you might have some launch agents, you know, when we're talking about cruft on, on a machine, there are things that launch at startup that are not obviously listed as like startup items and, and their launch agents are launch demons. And the places that you would look for these, there's there's a system wide place to look for it and then a place within your user account and they can run in either place. So if you go to uh, the main, like the top level of your hard drive and go into library, uh, you will find folders potentially two different folders, one called launch agents and one called launch demons. Go in there and take a look. The things in there will be identified by reverse domain. So it'll be like com dot uh, you know, bajango.istat local dot p list. And that is the thing that tells istat menus to start up um in the background on your Mac. Uh and and if that's something you want running, then leave that alone. Uh but you might find things out there like uh you know, uh, I found something on my wife's computer today, OpenBase. Now, she she installed, there was something that installed OpenBase like years ago. Oh, man, yeah. that's been there for ages. Yeah, but but it was still there on her machine, and it was actually causing a weird problem. It was causing this issue in her console that talked about an error every 10 seconds that said user." Now per user uh tells you what user it's trying to run this process as. And 423 didn't exist on her computer, and now Mountain Lion barfs at that uh because it says, hey, you can't run as something that, uh, with a user that doesn't exist, which is good. That's you know a, a good secure thing. But uh so you know I I dug in there and sure enough, I found this openbase.plist thing that was listed in, I think it was launch library launch agents. And it was set as user four hundred and twenty three, and so I deleted it, and the error went away, which I was very, very happy about. Uh, so you can look there; that's the system wide stuff. And then you can go into uh, your user account, into Library, and to get there on Mountain Lion and Lion, you uh, the easiest way is to hold down the Option key when you click on the Finder's Go menu, and Library will appear. So go to your user library folder and then again, launch agents and launch demons, maybe two different folders you see out there. You might not see both of them. Uh, they are, I believe, I think one of them is automatically created and the other is created only if something is populating it. But uh, but check those out as places you will also see uh, a uh, if you go into hard drive system library, launch agents and launch demons. But anything in the system folder is just that it is stuff from Apple third parties do not, or certainly are not supposed to. And I've never seen them do it. They don't put things out there. So only mess with the stuff in system. If you're certain that that is what's going to solve your problem, but uh, don't mess with that stuff, man. Well, it can be fun news. Well, you never know, you know, but, (laughs) but check those folders. In fact, that's just good. Again, all this stuff that we're talking about here is just good general troubleshooting. Because you might find stuff out there and you go, "Oh dude, I've, this has been here
0: forever." Oh yeah, 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 go. Well, I found it too. So I found in users shared, there's a the number of folders here. Some of these are kind of old. Let's see. there's one called Earth Browser from 2005) <laughs> Band demo songs from 2006, uh, America Online from 2008. Okay. Yeah. This whole directory. Uh, yeah. Actually, <laughs> you know what? also an open based directory in I, here dated uh, 2007. I just so. found an open based. Dir- I found that same one. And
2: this one's from Parliant, which is from Phone Valet, which is a piece of software we use mm-hmm. on. I forget what show it was. It was early, early on. We had bad internet or something and I had to call you on the phone and we used phone valet to do it, but that software doesn't even exist anymore. So that's where OpenBase came from, at least on this machine. I really got to check now and see, gosh, do we still have that launch agent here for OpenBase?
0: I you know, sometimes not. it's fun to run find and, and sort by date and just, yeah, just to see all the cruft that you have from us. See, see the, <laughs> I we'll have a challenge. What's the oldest file you can find on your Mac? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right.
2: Good stuff. I think it's time to move on to backups, my friend. And with backups, we'll start with Joel. And I will find Joel. Right? Am I going to the right place backing up? I, yes, I am. Joel writes I recently upgraded to Mountain Lion from Snow Leopard. Thanks to your advice, everything went swimmingly. I'm interested in the new iCloud support for Pages and Keynote. I'm trying to decide whether to keep my documents in iCloud or on my iMac. I back up everything on my iMac with Carbonite and Carbon Copy Cloner. If all my iWork documents are in iCloud, however, I don't think either of these solutions would back up the iCloud data. And if I lose my internet connection or Apple has a problem, I won't have access to my data. Is there a way to back up iCloud data? Yeah, so this is an interesting thing. And and the answer is if you're cloning your drive or even if you're just backing up your user folder, chances are you are backing up your iCloud data because here's the trick. All your documents that are, quote unquote, in the cloud and indeed most everything that is third party wise and or app wise, I mean, the pages and third party, but it's a separate app from the system itself. Uh, Anything that's in the cloud document wise, or even data store wise lives in your home directory in the library folder. We just told you how to get there in a folder called mobile documents. And this folder, for those of you that are Dropbox users, this analogy will work. It works just like Dropbox in that it syncs that the contents of that folder are synced to every Mac on which that same iCloud account Is installed and you can. I don't recommend this, but you can, especially if you just want to test it. Open up the Mobile Documents folder on one of your Macs, throw a file in there, just a you know, kind of a loose little text file, something small, and watch it appear on your other Macs. It happens almost instantaneously. So this is um, this is definitely and so when you're backing up, as long as you're not excluding the Library folder or specifically the Library uh, slash Mobile Documents folder. Everything out there will get backed up and you've got it. And now you also know where to find it. And if you look in there, you'll see kind of how things are They're in that same sort of reverse domain. They forego uh, periods in and in place of them, they put tildes. I assume that's for some compatibility issue or one or what what have you. But uh, but that's how that works. So uh, carbonite should get that. Carbon copy cloner, certainly uh, with a clone of your drive should back that stuff up. So that uh, I think that that does it. I, I again, I mentioned that it it works like Dropbox. I would not recommend using it that way because Apple may change the way this folder is managed at any time. But uh, but currently it does. It works that way.
0: Mm. Yeah, good stuff. Anything to add there, my friend? I don't know if it's good stuff. I don't like it. Yeah, I agree with you, actually. It's a little funny. Well, and then it's hidden. Yeah. So you and I both know this, and I think most people that are familiar with with how iCloud is trying to do document management is that what I noticed is some documents that I'm trying to save to iCloud, and actually, no, I think I came across this is that I actually tried to... It's funny, Dave. If you try to open that folder in certain applications... The, the one that you mentioned there? Yeah, um, the mobile, mobile document. documents? Yeah. It actually appears as iCloud in the dialogue. Really? It's really weird. I think it was in text edit. I somehow navigated to that folder, but somehow it was smart enough to show a little iCloud icon instead of slash library slash mobile documents. It was like, huh? Oh, I got to try it. Try this. it. I think it was like in text edit or something, but but check it out. It It, it kind of shocked me. I don't know if it was hidden or what, but it was like, Okay, so you're kind of telling me you're storing things in iCloud, but not really, right? <laughs> wow.
2: Oh, let's Are see. you seeing what I'm seeing? No, I'm going there now. Uh, open up mobile documents. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Huh. That's bizarre, man. I don't like that. Oh, no, that's not good. Yeah, that's weird.
0: Very, very weird. So yeah. it's iCloud, but it's not in, it seems each, right, right now at this point, it seems that each application can create its own. And actually, what you see this, when you look in the mobile documents folder, you'll see that each application carves out its own little folder. But if you see it from a lot of Apple apps, like what I was pointing out to you here, Dave, you see iCloud, you don't see. The directory structure right so it's iCloud but it's not because to me when you show something in in a dialogue and it's a location it, it you know if two different programs see the same thing they should see the same files and they don't because of the way they structured it that's right Yeah. enough about this for now but it's yeah. I think they're yeah they're still figured out how to do this and yeah. hide it from people and uh, I don't know I think we we, we may have opened Pandora's box and not and should not
2: have, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, but it's good. It's what we do here. We open it up and we figure out what's in there, and uh, and and then and then we close it. Right? Oh, wait, that doesn't work. <laughs> all right. Uh, why don't you take us on to Jean? I believe is uh, is who our next backup question will come from, and then maybe we'll share a tip or two and bid
0: you or all. Jean a or Jean? I'm know. not sure. Yeah, if it's Jean or Jean, yeah. But either way. Can you, uh, oh, no, it was Lou. No, I think it was, uh, no, wait,
2: let me, let me show you, uh, now you're definitely on to, uh, Oh, did you have it listed? Uh,
0: no, I think you had, uh, I may have typed in the wrong name. Ah, no. okay. Oui, me. Yeah, whatever. I got yeah, oh, it wrong, all right. but it looks French, but okay. <laughs> okay. It's a, it's a long question.
2: Do you want to, uh, you want to summarize and then, and then answer?
0: Uh, I'm going to summarize it. Okay. Yeah, go. So I'm gonna go straight to the chase here. Here was his problem. So Good news, um, he's making a backup of his uh, Aperture library. Okay, but he's using Time Machine to do it. So, Fine. normally the the way this works, and this is certainly one way of backing up your Aperture library. So, Aperture stores all of its contents in a package file, and it's stored in your uh, home directory Pictures folder, and it's called Aperture Library. All right. And like other packages we mentioned here, if you open it up, you can see the individual contents, including the individual photos. So, no, it's not one big file. It's it's a package file that has a structure underneath it. Now, what he said he was doing, and I've never seen this before, and I assume I read this correctly, is that he was trying to restore through Time Machine. Actually, there's a little tangent, Dave, here, though I think it's a useful one here. So, it's like, Wait a second, does Aperture have built-in time machine integration? Right. I didn't think it did, and it doesn't. Okay. So that, that may have been part of one of the problems here. But you know, I did a little homework, Dave, and there are, as far as I can tell, three applications that have a time machine interface.
2: Yeah, I know, well, I know
0: Mail does. Mail does? yeah. The other one I found, and I think I, I was looking for references online of the apps, and I think there are three of them, and I'm trying, and I can't remember the three, <laughs> but the other one is Address Book, or now Contacts, right? which right. I thought was weird. I'm like, right. why does that need a time machine interface? And well, that, it's not so, that it so, needs it. It's that it's a much handier way. It. Yeah, it has it. Right. And I'm trying to remember the third one, but the third one is neither of their photo apps. Okay. they will come back to me eventually. Okay. It keep going. on that, yeah. when you run Time Machine, you basically see the interface to, to the Finder, and then you got to select something. And what he was saying is that when he tried to select the Aperture library file, it said permission denied. And I'm like, what? So. And you deferred this question to me because it had Aperture. But the thing is that this is, in my humble opinion, not an Aperture issue, in that nothing <laughs> should... Say that you have permission problems when uh, when you're trying to restore from a time machine.
2: Well, you know, there's there's two things that that you've got to worry about with permissions with when restoring with time machine, especially if you're doing just a standard finder based time machine restore. And the trick, of course, is you navigate to the folder in the finder and then you open up time machine and uh, and it will bring you to that folder in time machine and then you can go back to the version you want and restore it. There's two places you need permission. number one is you need permission to read from the time machine backup, which presumably you would have, but again, you know we run into problems here, which is so we don't presume anything, so that could be problem number one problem number two is you need right access to the folder that you are restoring that to, and uh time machine is smart enough if you're restoring it to the same folder to offer to uh just like when you copy. It says, do you want to replace it? Do you want to keep both copies? Do you want to, you know, what do you want to do or do you want to cancel? Uh, But you need write permission to that folder in the first place. So it's possible again, presumably you wouldn't have uh, you would have write permission to your uh, pictures folder, but it's possible that you don't. And maybe that's another part of the issue. Um, so you, you know, get info on your, on your pictures folder and just make sure that you do have write access An easy way to test that actually is just to create a folder there. Um, if it doesn't let you create the folder, that's, that's a good hint. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's interesting. So, so anyway, you, you have, I, I, I'm, I'm eager to hear your, your alternative solution as opposed to using the main time machine interface to solve this you are aren't
0: you i oh. am i think everybody you know what is. occurred to me is do you need the time do you have to click on on the happy time machine icon or the the time machine application to restore files from time machine was my question no and i think the answer is absolutely not though it may be tricky to access the data depending on how it's stored and it really depends if you have, uh, I believe the, the criteria here, Dave, is whether you have a directly connected time machine drive or a NAS a network time connected. machine drive.
2: Well, it doesn't have to be NAS.
0: It could just be a drive on another Mac, right? I mean, you can or a drive on another Mac. Yeah. So the thing yeah. is, in one case, what happens is when you go to the drive that's storing your time machine, what you're going to see is a folder called backup. Uh, let me bring it up here. I don't have any, uh, one handy. Backup stop, backup DB. Yes. So I got you. You, you, you go. I've got you covered. Yeah. Yeah. And then below that, I think, will be the name of the Mac that's being backed up or the hard drive. Mm-hmm. Well, the, 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 no, I think you're right. It would be the name of the Mac. And then below, that's
2: the hard drive. I think that's right. Like that's right. OK. Uh, and I then keep, below just that, keep digging there.
0: Yeah. And then below that. Yeah. So you basically keep digging. And then what you'll see is a, is a bunch. Then I think you'll see a bunch of folders. One will be latest and one will be, you know, a certain time date stamp. And this is where you then see the structure and understand kind of how Time Machine is doing what it's doing. Because what it's doing is, is the same thing. It's pretty much looking at all that data, but it's presenting it to you in a nice, happy uh, way. Yeah. So what you can do then is basically just dig into these Time Machine folders, find in your file structure where that is, and it may be... It may be kind of hard to do because you're not seeing it from the user point of view. So you may have to go to the user's directory and then the name of the, the account and then dig a little deeper here. So that's probably the hardest part of this. And that's why Time Machine. Well, actually, Time Machine really doesn't make it that much. <laughs> it much. makes it a little bit easier, but not that much. You're right. But it's yeah. still navigating the file system as if you would with the file. So, so once you get to so once you find this file and here's what I did through, through the finder. You basically highlight, and I didn't do this with my Aperture library because my Aperture library is over 100 gigabytes, and that would have taken a while to, to copy that. So I, ha- I still have iPhoto. I don't really use it, but I have a small iPhoto library. So Perfect. what I did is basically did a copy from the Finder and then pasted what was in the Time Machine window in the Finder to, uh, well, it doesn't really matter yeah. where you put it. Yeah, hey, you just put it somewhere at else. At least with the photo app, so I put it somewhere else. And then the only key here is when you launch... So I launched, uh, so basically I did a copy and paste. Okay. Copy the. And you could have dragged. The file, Or I could have dragged. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then went to iPhoto. You hold down, I believe it's the option key. And that will then let you select another library. And then I pointed it at this file that I had just copied without using the time machine. You know, that's case. really Nothing smart, up man. up my sleeve.
2: No, because, <laughs> it, you know, this is especially valuable. I have all my time machine backups are on network drives. Which, which is what most of us do with time capsules and, and, and that sort of thing. But um, it always takes forever for Time Machine to go through and parse all that stuff and, and to build the whole deal and to get the zooming, zooming interface. And, and there's no reason I couldn't just restore the way you're talking about. And that way you go and you get the file you want from the date you want or the time you want or whatever. And it's really not that hard to navigate. One thing I will point out is once you mount... Your time machine backup and uh, and and this is certainly true in Mountain Lion because I was doing it this very morning. Uh, Spotlight starts indexing that and I have found and I only tried very briefly, but I, I have yet to find a way to exclude your time machine backup from Spotlight. Um, I got to dig a little more. But uh, but oh, yeah, it
0: gets kind of excited when it sees that and starts indexing. Yeah, it just (laughs) treats
2: it like a new drive and it just starts, you know, indexing it. And I don't want it to, but there was no way to exclude it. It was sort of grayed out from the whole exclusion process. But uh, but that's a great way to restore from Time Machine. I think I'm going to make that my my go to way because then I can restore, you know, sometimes accessing stuff on the NAS is slow and you're waiting for it to come up when you're in Time Machine's interface. It's modal, right? You're stuck. You can't do anything else while you're waiting for that. Whereas if I was just doing it in the finder, I could check my email, I could browse the web, I could, you know, go all ADD on it.
0: Yeah. Now, I guess my other point is that, all right, if doing it through time machine doesn't work, then doing it this way probably doesn't work because of the permission denied message. So the other thing you may want to do before trying to copy this would be to highlight it, do a get info on it, bring up the permissions section and change, well, look at the permissions and if they're set to anything other than read only or, or none. I mean, that that's the only reason assuming that, uh, you know, the, the file structure of the time machine thing isn't, you know, corrupted beyond recognition. Right. Um, and that could be the other thing is that the file's starting to get hosed. And, and you may want to think about creating a new backup here because I've had that happen. Yeah, I, I had it happen. totally. Uh, so, all right, to, just to complete the thought here, you may want to look at the permissions to try to change permissions, before you copy it because it sounds like they're corrupted. It, well, again, at least Time we, Machine thinks they are because it says permission denied. Now, I've never but seen... But again, it,
2: it could be the permissions on the writing folder too. It, oh, no, sure, sure. Yeah, it, who knows?
0: Yeah. But yes. I thought it was a neat trick in that the way that Apple builds it and I believe, Dave, when we talked about this to just talk about a little of the technology here, but so what you're seeing in each of the Time Machine folders is not the entirety of the backup, but it's a combination of maybe new data and then I think symbolic links um, to not, data. They are hard links. Or hard links. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but the effect is that if you copy it, the OS is smarter enough to say, oh, well, all right, what, what you're seeing is really not what you're seeing, but it's linking to something in another part of the disk that is yeah. what you're seeing. Yeah. So but, but, but the end result is that when you copy it, it brings a full representation of all that data as time machine does. So I guess I just want to mention it because the, you know, yeah. it's, it's still kind of neat technology. Yeah. Sort of neat until although, you, lo- until you learn
2: that it's hacked. It wasn't meant to do what it's doing. That's right. right. It's hacked into OS 10 and it was never built to manage millions of files. It was built to manage hundreds. and And that alone scared me off of relying on time machine for anything other than the casual restore. So, it. There you go
0: yeah and and to finish like, like i I was going to mention well I'm going to mention now, but I saw it uh it was on my macbook pro uh, on time machine. I got the the dreaded message, um yeah, Time machine kind of detected that things are kind of your your uh, backup's kind of corrupted, so we're we're going to uh you know thinking like office space, so we're we're just going to make a new backup for you is yeah. Yeah. Are you, are you okay with that? We're just going to make a new backup file for you and just delete the old one. <laughs> it's like What? <laughs> I mean, it's a, the, the, it, it's yeah. one of the worst error messages. It's like, yeah, your your backup's corrupt. I'm going to basically start from scratch. How how you how you feel about that? Right. That yeah, it happens. Mm. It's fine. All right. You know, I think when they do that, they uh, and I'm going to close out with a little <laughs> this is the fish fourth shake. time you finished this question. But keep going. Yeah. I'm going to finish again. <laughs> OK, no, but the problem is when it's doing this. So when it's recreating the time machine backup, it's doing something before. Why not just delete the old file and make the new one? I, I've never understood oh, what they're doing be, when they say I'm, I'm kind of recreating this. Oh, tell me, because it, it takes like hours. And I'm like, why don't you just delete the old one and make a new one from scratch? What, what are you doing before you create the new time machine backup? What well, are you, they? Do you know? Tell you me. can't delete the old one because then you'd be stuck
2: with no backup. Oh okay. That, I mean that's I think I'm pretty sure that's just a data integrity thing. And right. with that, let's move on. We have one last tip to share and then <laughs> uh and then we'll uh, we'll wrap the show up here. But uh Eric has a uh a nice little uh well, here you go. Take it away, Eric.
1: <laughs> Hello John Dave and Pilot Pete. Uh Eric here. I thought I would uh pass along a quick tip with the Reminders app found on iOS and now Mountain Lion. A while back, I remember Dave lamenting that iCal did not have the ability to create repeating to-dos that would come back every month or so. Uh, the Reminders app does have this ability. If you set a reminder, you can um, adjust it to uh, repeat once a month. I have a repeating monthly uh, reminder. Uh, I've got several set up, actually, and it's uh, pretty useful. Just thought I'd pass along that quick tip in case, uh, Dave, you had not noticed it. Thanks a lot. Don't get caught.
2: Thanks, Eric. Yeah. No, you're you know what? You're absolutely right. Uh, I had I don't think I had noticed it. I've I've been using BusyCal, uh, which allows you to do repeating to do's. And it did change with iCal. One thing or with iCloud, rather, uh, one thing that's a little weird is if you set it to repeat every Tuesday and then you move that to do one week to say Thursday because you're going to be out of the office. And the repeating now happens on Thursdays. It doesn't back. Remember that it should go to Tuesday next week. Um, But otherwise, uh, you know, the iCloud stuff does it. And yes, now reminders does it. That's pretty cool. I appreciate you telling us that, man. All right. With that, you know, earlier in the show, John, you read a question from a rune who had tweeted at us and we answered him. So uh, John, tell him, tell them all
0: how to find us on Twitter. Well, in this case, he tweeted me directly. And that's a John F. Braun. But you could also, if you'd like to, tweet Dave directly. I and mean, He's at Dave Hamilton. If you'd like to tweet the show, which is basically Dave and I, that would be MacGeekGab. And and of course, there's MacObserver. That's right. And uh, if you want to email
2: us here at the show, that is feedback at MacGeekGab.com for everyone out there. And then for those of you that are premium supporters, that is
0: premium at com. And there's uh, definitely stuff happening in the premium realm, which uh, you're going to hear about shortly. Yeah. Oh. Restructuring.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, what we've, it's what we've talked about. We just haven't rolled to the new system yet because we're waiting for the TMO redesign to roll out. And this is all part of that. So hopefully within the next it's- week or so. And it, in that's fact... how we roll. That's how we roll. And in in fact, our MacGeek app, uh, I mentioned last week, was submitted to Apple. We got notification the other day that it was in review. And then about 20 minutes later, we got notification that, it, eh. they, that they needed more time. This was Friday night.
0: So... Oh. Uh, uh, I, I, can I tell you what I think that means? Sure. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I think that means we're getting on the horn to the lawyers because there's a word in this app that we may not like. That's right. It's just life. Do you think that's the reason? Yeah, my guess. My my Speaking guess is, how they feel about having the word Mac in there because I, I know they get sensitive to things that have Apple trademarks, Apple like Apple like words. Which yeah. yeah, yeah, No, I'm sure that's I'm I'm I, my that's my guess too. But my
2: guess is based on other apps that have been approved, um, and the fact that they they've you know worked with us in the past. I, I think it'll make it through, but you know who knows. So we we will let you know. As soon as we know. But that's a uh, so feedback at MacGeekab.com, premium at MacGeekab.com. These are ways you can send us email. Um, all the premium folks, you right. are welcome to email us a premium.
0: Well Text, the one thing is like audio. Dave, I can't let you get away with being the only one to say feedback at MacGeekab.com. I just wanted to get that in there. You had to. I'm I, I it's appreciate time it. Time on tradition. It I- is <laughs> You can't say it more than three times. Certainly not five.
2: No, that's right. 206-666-GEEK is the number to call if you want to leave us a voicemail. And we can play those right here on the show, but we do listen to all of them as
0: well. And the geek is 4,335. You got Got that right. Uh We've gone through Twitter, Facebook. Follow us on Facebook,
2: especially if you want to join the chat uh, and the live stream every week. We put the appointment out there on Facebook. You can join the appointment, and then that way, if the time moves or anything happens, uh, you'll know. And that's a beautiful oh, no. thing. So, facebook.com slash MacGeekGab is the place to do that. Have they and, finished changing things yet? They've never finished changing things.
0: They will all we be it's changing like, things. Now it's like, no, now you got timeline. It's like, well... Just oh, that's I got used old to the hat. Old. Well, no, but I, uh, but no, I mean, you, you didn't have to accept it until like very recently. You could still be old school yeah, anymore. It was a couple of months ago, but yeah, yeah. No, my my view is still one uh, on my main account is still um normal or oh, old, no, or no, classic no, no. or whatever. No, they, they forced us all over to that a long time ago. No, they didn't. I'm, I'm telling you, you listening? really. I'm going to check that my, right my, now. My account has not been brought over to timeline. It keeps saying, "Well, it's going to happen like in another week." I think. I think you're on timeline, man. No, I s- I'm not. I see you as timeline. Personally, I'm not. Well, you, but but no. When I see me, I don't see me as timeline. I'm telling that's you, that's interesting. Trust me when I tell you what I see. I think I think you're.
2: I think you might just be. Uh, I, I'm not seeing things. I think you might be misinterpreting what you're seeing
0: because you uh, just no. you haven't put
2: an image across the top on your timeline thing. But no, but no, you're on timeline, man. I. I But anyway, Facebook.com slash MacGeekCab is on timeline and is there. We would appreciate it if you liked it. And again, doing so allows you to to see when we're uh, when we're publishing or when we're setting up the the uh, the live stream. But we also publish show notes out there and we'll we'll answer questions and all that good stuff there, too. And with that, it is time to, uh, to move into the final phase here. We would like to thank, of course, Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast for converting this uh, show to AAC. We'd like to thank Cashfly for hosting it. And we'd like to thank our sponsors in the podcast marketplace this month, which are Gazelle, you know what to do with them, PDF Pen Pro from Smile, you know what to do with that, and BB Edit from Barebone Software, you know what to do there. And you'll come back next week. Hopefully, join us here. That would be great. In the meantime, please remember, my friend John
0: F. Braun has some excellent advice for you. Well, because we want to see you next week, please don't get caught.
1: Maybe.